It's good to be with you. I'm Scott McDowell, if you don't know me. I spent a few months with you about a year ago doing some interim work, and it's a delight to be back with you. I bring you greetings this time from Abilene, Texas. 25 years at one place, Lipscomb in Nashville, and now uh, my starting my 27th lap around that higher ed track in my second year at ACU and having a great time, but I bring you greetings from there. It is so good to be with you. I was thinking about what a blessing it has been to know this church, and I believe in this church. It's fun to rekindle old friendships. I see Bobby and Bonnie Ray back there. I mean, we go back all the way back in the day at Lipscomb University. The mans are new friends. I've got all kinds of lifetime friends in this church, and I really believe in what you're doing. I love, every time I see Bobby, I love that line. You know, as an old preacher, I said, you know, Bobby, he's an anesthesiologist. We got something in common. We both put people to sleep. And dry as a bone, he came back with, yeah, but I can wake him back up again. (laughs) So hopefully we'll be awake today. I want us to, if you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 6, because I want to look at a text, this this worship has been narrative worship today, great songs that fit with what we're talking about, particularly that last one. But if you will open your Bibles, Ephesians is Paul's high watermark. It was written during the prison, the imprisonment at the same time that Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon were written. And Colossians deals with the Colossian heresy, Philippians deals with a dispute resolution between Yodi and Syntyche, Philemon is a runaway slave, there's a problem there that's being addressed. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul doesn't have any particular problem that he's trying to solve. He's writing to this church where he spent over two years. He taught daily in the school of Tyrannus. He has a magnificent relationship with these people. But in the book of Ephesians, probably really a circular letter, he shares what has been called the quintessence of Paulinism. It's his vision, his exalted vision for what the church should be. And so it's a rich resource. It was over 20 years ago when I really discovered too far into my Christian walk, that the whole point of the church was to reproduce Jesus in people's lives. And that's all in Ephesians 4. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Grown-up Christians look like Jesus. And the point of the church is to reproduce Jesus in people's lives. And if you are a church that, that people can come here day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and not look more like Jesus when they finished than when they started, the church is failing those people. One of the things that I love about Clear Creek is that there is a discipleship path here. Your leadership, your eldership, the, the, this church has committed to saying, we want to make disciples. We want to help people to routinely and do and say the things that Jesus would do and say. And I just affirm that in you. That is so biblical, so spot on, that I just want to encourage you with that and just say, as I said over a year ago last time I preached here, I believe that Clear, Creek, Clear Creek's best days are ahead of you. But you keep on that discipleship path, good things will happen. Now, Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, 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 finally. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. This is Ephesians 6, beginning verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's pray together. God, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, that name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is in fact Lord to Your glory. And so God, we come in His name and I ask in His power for for Your Spirit to move among us, to open us up to hear a word from You today, to speak through me, and that we would in fact be blessed by having been here and hearing Your Word, and that we would go out and apply Your Word. We would not just be in love with the words of Your book and the words of Jesus, but with the ways and the rhythms of Jesus as well. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Finally. We love the word finally. We love finallys, don't we? Finally. That project is over. <laughs> finally. That dissertation is written. <laughs> Finally, we get to go back to school. There are some moms that say, finally, finally, finally. Finally, football season's here. Well, maybe not. At least it arrived somewhere in Georgia. I don't know. Too soon, maybe? Too soon? Okay. Finally. And we love finally in, in, in church. We love finally in church. I mean, back in the day, we could, just, we, could, we could tell by the tone of the preacher when the invitation was coming and the songbooks start rustling. Remember that? I mean, I vividly remember I was less than six years old in the little Ligonier Church of Christ, and we were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night folks when I was growing up. And I vividly remember I'm sitting there in church as a little boy, and I knew it. I mean, I knew, the, I knew how things worked. I knew all the rhythms of the, of the congregation. And I'm sitting there, and they, you know, I, I am really innocent in this. I am not to be blamed. They changed up the order of worship. I don't know who, what they were thinking. But I'm sitting there as a little kid, and they changed, and there was an extra prayer in there, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, that guy that gets up and talks, he's not getting up. I'm about to get out of here. And I mean, I was counting moments. I was serious about my fellowship opportunities. That was what was going on. I thought, I'm about to have some really good fellowship. And they said amen to that prayer, which by the order of things should have been the closing prayer. And I mean, I was shot out of a cannon. I was three steps down the aisle, and nobody else moved. And I mean, it was just like awkward as could be. And I just retraced my steps. They had them stand now for the song before the lesson. And my dad, out of, I guess, some compulsory thing, gave me a little swat on the backside, you know, just to say, not going to do that again. But I thought we were finally there. Well, Paul has a finally here. Paul says finally. He's at the end of his letter. And it is a, it is a final word that I don't, want to just, I don't want to just jump to Russell in the songbooks. I want us to really get the full impact of what he has to say here because it is critical And I want to tell you that his final word is a word about relationships primarily. And that this little passage, Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, 
can give you actual resources that you can use today in your life, and it will improve the way you live your life. And if you'll apply what he says here, it will make you more like Jesus, and it will improve your witness in this world. Now that's, that's a strong claim, but it's straight out of text. And again, I want you to see the context. Paul is talking about relationships. He's He's gone through a bunch of theology. He's talked about the great eternal purpose of God, what God is doing and has been doing literally from eternity, and how He's working that out in His church. And then He begins to talk about relationships. He's, he, in chapter 5, He says, Don't get drunk with wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Not, don't get drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on spirits. Get filled. Get drunk on the Spirit of God. And then He begins to describe what that looks like. It's it's speaking to one another, psalms and spiritual songs. It's singing and making melody in your hearts. It's thanking, always giving thanks. And it's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a good look at what the Spirit-filled life looks like. And it's that mutual submission that he spends a little bit of time on. He talks about, okay, you want real-world stuff? Here it is. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit your husbands as unto the Lord. But there's mutual submission there. Don't forget that framing. He talks about children and parents and those relationships that, that, we, that can be so tense at times, right? And the whole idea of honoring your father and mother, that one never goes away. I'm 55 years old, I still have a responsibility to honor my father and mother. And I've got children and I've got to, I still have a responsibility even though they're almost grown and somewhat grown. To not exasperate my children, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then he turns his attention to slaves and masters. And we would, we would frame that today thinking about work relationships. It's all about relationships. And that primes then this language about finally. And I want you to understand this finally comment section is directly tied to the relationships. And I would argue life is all about relationships. And at the end of our lives, what we will care most about was the quality of our relationships, right? How good a father, son, brother, husband was I? What were those relationships like? So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And what, what I want to do as we take this final word on relationships, I want us to particularly build an awareness in three areas that I think will be very practical for us. So three areas of awareness for us as we go out today into the world. Awareness number one. Number one, be aware of the struggle. Be aware of the struggle. Say that with me. Be aware of the struggle. He says, for our struggle, relationships are hard, aren't they? You, you just got to love kids when they're just in that goo-goo love stage, right? You know, and they, they just, oh, they can't ever imagine things being challenging. And you got to love parents when they first bring those babies. Oh, they're just so precious. You just think, well, give it time. I remember being so judgmental of parents, or of parents yeah, before I had any kids. I think, my goodness, don't you know. They're hard. And work relationships are hard. 
But here's what we've got to have. We've got to have an awareness of the struggle. And I'm sorry, that print is so small, I can't see it. So I don't know if you can, but I'll tell you what it says. Be aware of the struggle. Number one, you need to know what our struggle is not against. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So understand that. We have relationships, they're hard, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If there is a challenge in my relationship with my wife or in her relationship with me, we as people are not the enemy. When we deal with difficult people in the workplace or we deal with people who who just push the limits on everything, let's understand, our struggle is not with them. Every individual that we meet is a person made in the image of God. They have infinite value and worth. And God loves them so much that He gave His Son to die for everyone, right? So that most difficult person you deal with, whether it's a a spouse or a child or a co-worker or a boss or somebody that is just living such an immoral life and it just seems to be in your face and you're struggling with them, understand our struggle is not against flesh and blood. These are people made in the image of God that we need to have a love for. And just having that awareness that there's a war going on, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but who is it against? It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That heavenly realm language is significant. Paul uses it five times in this book of Ephesians. And what he's talking about, he starts out, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's that place, it's the real world, it's the spiritual world, it's the world just beyond consciousness. Where what really happens is, what, what matters more than ever, anything is going on. It's that world that every once in a while people get glimpses into. When Stephen is being stoned, he says, I saw heaven open. Right? And he saw Christ standing by the right side of the throne of God. That's the real world. That's the heavenly realm. And Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. When there are relationship problems, we need to understand we have an enemy who is engaging us, and that needs to reframe everything about what the struggle is all about. On June 6th, we celebrated, commemorated the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And I just, uh, I kind of got caught up in it and, and got looking at some documentaries and watching different things about that incredible courage and the, the battle that was going on. And particularly Omaha Beach, the greatest casualty rate, the first wave, 90% casualty rate in that first wave that went on shore at Normandy on Omaha. One of the survivors, David Silva, was recounting his, his experience. He said, we were pinned down on the beach, and he said, one of my buddies picked his head up to look and see where the Germans were, and it's harsh, but literally got his head blown off. Because there's a war going on. And if you're not aware that there's a struggle that's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, then you will likely be a casualty. And so just think about that. Next time your husband says something that really irritates you, gets under your skin, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Critical stuff. Let me, let me just share a couple of passages. Next passage, I, 
Well, there, there's a quote up there, and that, that's an interesting quote. It's from the book, Gary Thomas, Sacred Marriage. And he just makes the point, why would we expect that the place where the fall happened, marriage, Adam and Eve, why would we think that would somehow be insulated from trouble? I mean, the devil attacked there first, he's going to keep attacking there. Be aware of that. And then look at this passage. This is Paul writing to Corinthians. This is the second letter to Corinthians. The first letter, he's taking them to task because they're feeling so proud of themselves for basically affirming sin in, in, the, in the camp. They're feeling real good and smug about it. Look how spiritual we are. I mean, we got a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law. Bless his heart. I mean, let's just all cuddle around him. And Paul says, no. That's, that's not, that kind of behavior shouldn't happen in the community of believers. You need, it's a, it's a scriptural argument for breaking off fellowship with somebody so that he'll come to his senses. And that's what he's addressing now in 2 Corinthians. He's saying now, we don't want, he, he's, he's made right. Now bring him back in, love on him. Because we don't want Satan to outwit us. And look at that, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I'll tell you what, I think sometimes we are. Amen, church? We're unaware that the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there's another passage I wanted to call your attention to. I don't have it up there, but I'm going to read it to you. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it's another thing about this. And listen to this, beginning in verse 25. He's talking about the Lord's servant, 2 Timothy 2.25. Those who oppose him he must gently instruct in, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I mean, that's a great text where he's saying to a, to a young Timothy, I mean, goodness, man, don't get sucked into fights. Because when you're at odds with people, you need to know the bigger picture. You need to know what's going on. That there's an enemy in play here. That the devil really is alive and well, and he's active in this world. In fact, Jesus called him the prince of this world, right? And so you have to be aware that struggle's happening. And when people are misbehaving, you don't, you don't get crossways with people made in the image of God. You realize they're being played by the enemy. And perhaps they're being taken captive to do His will. Back in Ephesians 2, he said, As for you, and we know this text, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, listen to it, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who's that? That's the enemy. That's the devil. That's the guy in the heavenly realms that's fighting against us. And then the very next phrase, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Have you ever been around people you just think, oh my goodness, they just seem to have lost touch with reality. I mean, sometimes it happens in marriages where you see somebody go off and they're just like, have they completely lost their mind? Well, sometimes they have. Sometimes they're being played. And they've been taken captive. And we ought to have a different mindset towards somebody who's a captive, right? And so be aware of the struggle. Number two, be aware of your own limitations. Be aware of your own limitations. Our tendency, particularly in American culture, is we might, okay, Scott, you're right, there's a battle going on. There is a war. There is an enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I got this. I got this. No, you don't. You don't have this. Paul says, finally, 
be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. You don't try to do this on your own. We are in over our heads. Say that with me. We are in over our heads. We can't handle this on our own. Now we got weapons that Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We got weapons that are mighty. That's absolutely right. And he will unpack in a, in a text that is so familiar. Immediately following this, he will talk about the armor of God and make sure you put it all on because it is powerful. But we are in over our heads. I'll tell you what. When you understand that there's a spiritual battle going on and that you can't do it on your own. Man, you talk about an argument for discipleship. You talk about an argument for what this church is really trying to be all about. The disciplines exist to help us to take full advantage of what God's doing in this world and to align ourselves with what God is doing. I said in my prayer, I want us to be a place that embraces both the words and the ways of Jesus. And I want to say a word too about uh, something that, that Dallas Willard said. You, uh, you couldn't get out of here without me quoting a little Dallas Willard. In, in his book that they published just before his death, he talked about the kingdom that Jesus preached. And remember, Jesus preached change, right? Change because the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus went everywhere preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus was all about was proclaiming the idea that the availability of the reign and rule of God is a reality for everybody. All of us can experience God's life through us. It's open. It's not, it's not way out there. It's available now because especially of what Jesus was doing. And the gospel of the kingdom has too often been replaced by the gospel of the lowest common denominator or the gospel of the easiest way to get to heaven when you die. And certainly, because of what Jesus did, we get to go to heaven when we die. But that's not the good news that Jesus preached. The minimum entrance requirements to get into heaven when you die. That's not what He preached. And that's not a life-giving message. The life-giving message is, God will be in complete control right now. And I can live under His Lordship right now. And I can seek and live in His will right now by His power, not by my own. And that is good news. I told you before, my life verse almost out of time, so i got to be quick. My life verse is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. I discovered it whenever I first got that job 22 years ago at Lipscomb. After I'd gone through the interview process and hired, and now I'm in the quiet of my own office, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in over my head. I mean, I really, I was, oh my, I can't believe they're drinking the Kool-Aid I was serving. They've hired me, and I don't know what I'm doing. And I was reading a devotional, Henry Blackaby, Experiencing God Day by Day, and the text was Zechariah 4.6, and the text is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. I know I've talked about this text before because I love it so much. And the context is, post-Babylonian captivity, Zerubbabel has to rebuild the temple, and he says, I can't, it's too big a job. And God sends Zechariah to him and says, Zechariah, tell him, he's right, it is too big a job for him, not too big a job for me. 
And so that's the verse, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And I've taken hold of that and tried to hold on to it ever since. And sometimes I forget it. But when it, what it really does me good is when I say, okay, whatever the task is, we're going we're gonna to help students discover their creative purpose and embrace their place in God's story. We're going to be a church that really makes disciples to send them out and, and shine light in the darkness. That is a, that's a crazy task. And it's too big a task for any university or for any church, but it's not too big a task for God. Amen, church? We're in over our heads, but God's just fine. And after I discovered that, I went out and told a bunch of parents, I I just want you all to know, this 22 years, I want you to know, I I don't really understand what I'm doing, but God's got it covered. Sarah Keith Campbell, who'd been doing it a long time, said, don't go tell parents you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) So I always say now, 22, 23 years later, not my first barbecue, know what I'm doing. But I still don't want to trust in me. I want to trust in Him. Know your own limitations. And finally, be aware of His power. Be aware of the struggle. Be aware of your own limitations. And be aware of His power. Oh, you see, when I try to do things on my own, I try to do things in my own power, I'm going to get whipped. This text that I already referenced, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. I can't handle that, but God can. So he says, be sober. Don't be scared. Gary referenced Philippians 2. I was thinking about Philippians 2 this morning. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Acts 3. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he did. And then the Sanhedrin called Peter and John in. What are you all doing? They're going to bully you. They're going to shut you up. And Peter rises full of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if we're being called to account today for the good done to a crippled man, then know this. That it was in the name of Jesus of Nazareth that this man stands before you made whole. And that's a name that's powerful. So I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. We have power at our disposal. And so we close this lesson by looking at the prayers of the Philippians, or for the Ephesians. So Paul says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Remember you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title can be given. All right, we got an enemy in the heavenly realm. But we got a champion in the heavenly realm too, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Amen, church? And his name is above every name. Now, we're not going to misuse it. These Ephesians knew all about that. Ephesians, the Ephesian church, Acts 19, that's the whole story about the seven sons of Sceva. Remember them? They're the ones that started going around casting out demons in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preached, we command you to get out of them. And a demon actually answered and said, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? 
And that demon came out of that man and whipped all seven of them. Read it. It's in the Bible. Kids, read it. I'm telling you, good reading. Acts 17. Nakedness. Right there in Scripture. Naked. Sent him out of the house, beat up and naked and bleeding. So don't misuse, don't play fast and loose. But I'm telling you what, we have power at our disposal. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and earth derives His name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and established in love, may, together with all the saints, grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled all the measure of the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able, right? Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all ages, forever and ever, And the church said, Amen. Here's what you need to know when we're walking in His power and are aware of His power. There is no such thing as a lost cause. Because God will be who God will be and God can do anything that needs to be done. And we need to rest in the fact that He's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Now you may have a lost cause going on in your life and and you may be hurting. You're like, come on God! Well, what we got to say is, we know He is good. Look at Romans 8. Digest that this afternoon. He works for the good of those that love Him. He's always at work trying to bring about good, and nothing can separate us from His love. And He's more powerful than anything. Angels, principalities, anything, right? And we need to lean into that and trust Him. Trust Him when it turns out like we want it. And trust Him when it doesn't. Christopher Yon is a young man who's now, he's a doctor, teaches at Moody Bible Institute. But it wasn't always that way. Christopher, as a young man, struggled with same-sex attraction. He got involved in drugs, literally selling drugs, and went down a very dark, dark path. And he got fully engaged in the same-sex lifestyle, and it broke his parents' hearts. Neither of, the, neither of his parents were believers. And because of their son's path toward destruction, it awakened them to their need for God, and they started to go, go to church, and they gave their lives to Christ. And Christopher's mother began to pray for Christopher. And he prayed for, she prayed for seven long years that he would come out of this darkness and that he would come to the light. And he did. For reasons I don't fully understand and we will never comprehend until eternity, that's not always how it goes. But in this case, that's what happened. And while he was in prison for his crimes, he began reading Scripture. And his reading Scripture combined with the prayers of his mother led him to come to know Jesus and to give his life to Jesus and to begin to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And I want to read to you what he said because I think it's a good charge for us as we close today and we think about the war that's going on right here and certainly out there. He said this, Personally, I would never have considered the good news of Jesus. 
I would have never considered the gospel if I hadn't seen it lived out in my parents' lives. I didn't leave pursuing a same-sex relationship because my parents convinced me it was sinful. I didn't leave because they convinced me it was unhealthy. I left because I was shown something better. And His name is Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess.